0: You are now tuning in to the Own the Build podcast. Join Sealing's very own Paul Hemming, where each week he interviews experts from the world of construction and asks all the important questions around intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode 81 of the Own the Build podcast with me, Paul Hemming. I hope everyone is doing very well today. I am. It's sweltering hot where I am sat today recording. I'm loving life. Life is good. Just a little note before we jump into the show today. As I've mentioned before, I'd be very grateful if anyone who is listening right now could either go onto their Apple app or their Spotify app. Spotify, I've just opened up a. uh, review and rating section as I understand it. So if you could just log onto your app and just tell us how we're doing, it would be gratefully, gratefully received. Anyway, enough of that boring nonsense. On to the show. Today, we are joined by Gavin Gallagher, Executive Director at the Earls for Group and East Point Business Park. Gavin is a commercial real estate investor and developer with what I can only describe as a fascinating story, which we're going to get into later today. How's it going, Gavin?
1: Uh, Paul, things are excellent. It's lovely weather here in Dublin, and uh, I'm feeling all fired up for this conversation. Oh, wonderful. And you're sat in Dublin, one of
0: my favourite places in the world. I am jealous. I'm happy where I am today. The sun is shining, but I do
1: love Dublin. Uh, Dublin in the sunshine, you can't really beat it it's uh, it's pretty I neat. think Dublin in the winter is just as good. I just love the place. Mm, well it's it's nice. I mean I just the last couple of days has been it's been scorching the weather and uh on Tuesday morning I went to Kalini Strand which is this beautiful beach looking out to in the direction of Wales and uh we went swimming a bunch of us and uh it's just smashing. Absolutely smashing.
0: Sounds it sounds absolutely delightful. So are you a Dubliner?
1: Yes originally dublin born and bred uh, although my parents uh, if if my my grandparents if you were to kind of take the four grandparents three of them are from the west of ireland and then one was from dublin uh, but the dublin's obviously the economic center of ireland so it's where everyone kind of migrates to and so this is where i'm born and bred
0: excellent well Lovely to be sat down with you. Again, I've already been actually sat on your podcast at one point, so we do know each other quite well. For the benefit of our listeners here today, introduce yourself,
1: introduce your business and your experience. Well, the experience, I mean, I've got 25 years in the uh, property uh, and I'll I'll go and say construction, architecture, the whole kind of thing because I come from a, a, a kind of a building family my my father was a builder, house builder, and my grandfather was a house builder. And so when I was growing up, it was it was kind of something I grew up around. So from my point of view, I grew, like I used to go with my father to building sites where they were building houses, and I would be playing in the scaffolding as a young youngster, you know, enjoying <laughs> before those... Before the HSC were all over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the HSC, it's like ruined these playgrounds that we used to have, you know, and... Uh, it was it was no it was a lot of fun and i found it really interesting i used to love watching construction so when it came to a couple of years later uh you know architecture seemed like the thing that for me i wasn't it wasn't clear to me until i went on a vacation but during my studies when i was actually studying architecture my father died unexpectedly and um and i it drew me kind of into the managing of uh, of a bit of a property uh, business um you know there was various projects kind of underway, sites, holes in the ground and stuff. And so it was a bit of a baptism of fire. And uh, and, and so I've been in the v- business since his death, which was in 1993. And so quite a few years now. In fact, we've, we're coming up on 30 years, believe it or not. And uh, I started out as an architect in terms of qualifications, practiced for a while as an architect you know, went on, you know, big sites, projects, was doing projects like the, the the Marks and Spencer store here in Dublin, and big projects like the IBM building that was constructed in Dublin as well. Um, but I, I was kind of hankering to go and do my own thing. So I jumped uh, into starting my own little architectural practice. and And that's kind of where it began. But very quickly after I started, I realized that uh, property investment and development was kind of where I wanted to be. I was trying to do too many things. I was trying to be the architect and the investor developer, and uh, one deal made me a, a lot of more money in in one transaction, one property transaction it made me a lot more money than I had made as a you know a year as an architect and I kind of just thought, mm, what am I wasting my time? I, I need to kind of step over and, and join the the dark side as as my friends used to call it.
0: absolutely so what drew you so initially as i'm as i'm mapping your career today you started on site when you were a a wee little nipper like you 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 grew up if you like in and around the construction industry you then became an architect you then became an investor developer over the time that has followed and that's what you're doing now what drew you initially to becoming an architect
1: Well, what it was, was it's funny because growing up, you know, when you're a young, when you're a youngster, you're not thinking about the future. Or if you are, it's like, I want to be an astronaut and stuff like that. When in my case, I was completely oblivious to the future. And I wasn't very good at school. I did not so i wasn't academic or anything like that i remember sort of seeing spelling tests and it was like one out of 50 was my my score and stuff so i was pretty bad i was pretty bad and i had i think i i had and i probably still have adhd so i couldn't concentrate and uh but we went on a family holiday to america uh when i was about 14 i think it was or 15 and that trip was just absolutely you know life-changing insofar as uh, we arrived in New York City for the first day or two of the holiday. And like I, I flew into uh, you know, New York, into JFK, and got this taxi into the center of Manhattan where we had a hotel and we were staying. And uh, I can remember just the impression of the Twin Towers, and the empire state building as you're driving towards the city because they are so huge and i can just remember thinking oh my god this is insane you know and particularly as a kid right yeah well the thing is, is i was 14 so i was starting to kind of develop an interest in 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 different things but this was just sort of staggering for me it was like whoa i'm in the big city now you know and uh, and what happened was just a couple of days there staring up like you know creek in the neck kind of looking at these towers everywhere like it's you know everyone knows the twin towers and the empire state but when you're in new york city you're looking up at everything because they're all like 50 story buildings and stuff and so they're all super impressive from the ground and i went back after the holiday i went back to dublin and all i was thinking of was buildings construction Today's skyscrapers in Dublin. Well that that was it and it was it was really like I I actually it's funny because I wasn't thinking career-wise but I was spending hours drawing the buildings that I had seen. I was like I was into sketching and stuff and I was drawing scale drawings of you know twin towers, the Empire State building and then I used you know it was, I was I starting to identify different buildings that I had seen and going and reading about them in books i was asking my for my birthday i wanted like a book on new york skyscrapers and so i got this book and it had oh here's the you know how many feet high is this building and how many stories it has and it actually got to the point where i could list off the the heights of about 50 or 60 skyscrapers can you you still do it uh, now can you do you do one i (laughs) <laughs> I can tell you the Empire Building is 1,250 feet and the Twin Towers were 1,372 before they were knocked Ooh, down. Oh, I so, like
0: that. I like that.
1: Someone yeah. go and fact check. <laughs> yeah, I, I do actually have a pretty photographic memory for that kind of stuff. And it's funny because in school, I couldn't do any of that. But with this, I was just obsessed. And so, and this, this obsession went on for a couple of years and everyone, all the relatives, like my aunts and uncles and stuff, were seeing these drawings and going, So Gavin, I think it's clear you're going to be an architect. And it was them, those comments were what put the idea in my head that that's what I was going to be. Well, I mean, it makes perfect sense, right? Yeah, and that's
0: it. And often at that age, not knowing what you wanted to do is far more commonplace, but you had this seminal moment where you went to New York and then sounds like it's just became something that you deeply, deeply enjoyed, deeply loved. Were they right? Because you moved... You know, you said you were doing architecture, you were enjoying it, and then you, twenty-five years on, you've actually kind of been doing something very different, although a sideways
1: relevant sector. Were they right? Do you think? I think you know what—it's not that different what I do from what you're talking about, but uh, but from architecture. But the thing is, is like what I love about architecture is I love the, the design process and creating something and, and, and seeing it like built, you know. And uh, when you start your own architectural practice, you very quickly realize that that is not what you're going to spend 90% of your time doing. Like the stuff that I love is like 10% of your time. 90% of the time was chasing clients to pay fees uh, doing the accounts, doing the VAT, all this, you know, business development, going out, meeting clients and all that. And I can just remember thinking, is this what I'm going to be doing for my career? Like, no This isn't you, me like, drawing I, the Empire I, State Building as a 14-year-old, you know, sketching Yeah, out. This isn't I what mean, I'm actually loving. So what I wanted was to go from, I wanted to go from, you know, from starting a business To having like you know all the employees that i could just focus on the stuff that i wanted to do and let all of the other people and i just didn't have that patience so what happened was i got into uh, i found a little piece of land in the west of ireland near to where my grandparents were from bought that land for like 25 grand and i used my architectural skills to get the permits to put a little development of four houses on it and I went to an estate agent or an auctioneer in the in the area, and I said, how much would I sell these houses for? And just to give me, you know, a, to gauge, you know, the profit potential. And he came back to me and said, Gavin, I've got a buyer that'll take it off your hands. If you've got planning ready to go, I've got a builder ready to go. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I want to be the developer. Like, what's he, what's he prepared to offer me to, for the site? And he said 125 grand. And I was just like what <laughs> it was my five x my money like five x and it was really shocking to me because i had put maybe you know a couple of days of drawing together and then submitted it to the planning permit and then waited for the planning to be gay to be gotten but that was it like it was not time consuming and at the same time i was working on domestic you know extension project for a couple And I had spent months like doing drawings and like laying out how the tiling was going to look and where the fridge was going to go and this and that and the other. And it had taken me months for eight grand of a fee. And this was a couple of days of permission work. And then using your skill set and using what I had and just and it was just the value proposition was so different. And I just said, oh, my God. Yeah, got to move on from that. So that's <laughs> that. That makes sense,
0: right? And you know, this show we are a construction show. I am a I am a quantity surveyor, as you know. So we we lean almost always into construction, sometimes into property. But I know from speaking to some of our listeners, just a lot of the people in the industry, you know, it's kind of a a lot of people will be listening and dreaming almost, or or thinking about changing from construction to property and seeing themselves as someone who has got a really good skill set in whether an architect, a project manager, QS, um, and thinking, I'd love to do my own property development. Now, you were always quite entrepreneurial. You set up your own architecture practice. Then you moved from architecture practice to property development. So perhaps a bit different, but what would your advice be to that person who is listening now thinking, I want to move from architecture slash construction into development as you have?
1: Well, I think... I mean it's funny you say that because I I actually have a kind of a little side hustle of a um, a coaching group that I work and I and I have a couple of sort of clients it's a handful of people that I teach this kind of stuff to because most of them are builders um you know guys that are small contractors that have you know kind of a couple of houses under construction or whatever some of them are in the UK some of them are here in Ireland and uh, but they're all they share that kind of dream. And I think what the dream is that you're on a treadmill or like the hamster on the hamster wheel and you're running, running, running. And the moment you stop that, the income stops. And uh, what they were attracted to is the passive income aspect of the property business. And the fact that you can take the skills that you have as as a contractor or as an architect or a QS or whatever, and you can channel them into something that is very, very related and relatable to what you were already, the skills you have, but start to build a small portfolio. It doesn't have to be big, like timing and various things were one of the reasons why mine got very big very quickly. But you could actually have yourself in a situation where within a, a couple of years, you have a nice steady income coming from a number of properties. And those properties, at some point in time, they will replace the amount of income that you're earning from your main business. And that's where you want to get to. You still might love your main business and you might enjoy and all that. And so what it becomes is it just becomes like an insurance policy. And you say, you know what? My pension, I've got this income coming in. It's guaranteed coming in because it's, you know, so many clients or so many tenants and so many. And on the other hand, I'm able to. So you're able to maybe go after riskier projects or do things with your business. That perhaps you wouldn't consider doing because you're worried about the, you know, the potential that you could damage your income stream. And you have that little f- bit of safety net, which is, I think, what a lot of people. Yeah. Like. So
0: if I'm listening right now and I'm feeling like, oh, I'd, I would love to be in that position in a few years time, what your advice is, is baby steps, is it or?
1: Well, I think. I mean, and, and it doesn't have to be me. We'll find a piece of land and five exit.
0: That's a good way to start, right? The
1: thing is, is I, I think, I mean, I found my feet very quickly. I, I had studied, I had gone from architecture and then I went and I started a, a course called a master's in development and planning and development. Okay, And so I started learning all of the Tools that you need for to understand how to value land and and how to value a development and things like that. So I was for, it was fortunate that I had done that because that gave me the the kind of the methodology for valuing and for doing this kind of work. So I had that. That's a skill that you do need to develop, and and that's a, a skill that. Well, it's not even a skill. It's it's knowledge based. It's something that if you apply yourself, you could learn this, and it's you know there's there's mentors out there and i do think it's probably worth your while going out and finding a mentor on how to do this you don't have to spend big money now i know that there are people out there charging you know twenty thousand like for a course and stuff it's it doesn't have to be like that i mean it's not rocket science and uh and so really um i think you can find your feet you can go out there and you can go and end up in a situation where you start to build that portfolio and a lot of people a lot of the time it's it's your own mindset there's there's self-limiting beliefs in a lot of us and those those are holding you back and sometimes you just need to be aware of that this is a self-limiting belief you have the skills you have the ability all you need to do is just break through Take that the plunge kind of I actually
0: I completely agree with that actually and even having you know certain own business myself, but spoken to people development finance through this podcast. Actually, come to understand that if you are from a construction background, as a and now a developer, you're considered half of the problem solved effectively because of your experience, because you are someone who understands the process of the high, one of the high risk elements, the construction element of development. So, very much is
1: there to be taken, right? You're absolutely right, and the thing is, like I, I the, the bill, the, the the contractors and the builders that are on my, in my coaching program, a lot of them come in with this kind of view that they, that you know, they're going to have struggle to do this, and I'm saying exactly what you're saying. I'm saying, guys, you are seen in you know in the eyes of an investor, you guys are fabulous partners to you know. Yeah, you've this, de-risked you know? the project massively. Like Thank you. Like, and that's it. And investors are out there fig- trying to figure out how on earth am I going to build this thing. And so you can partner with somebody or you can figure it out yourself but partnering with somebody with complementary skills that has they say the, the financial financial side and maybe a little bit of you know backing or whatever and you've got the building skills that's a powerful partnership hundred percent I think that is we've talked about this again
0: on the podcast before you know it's the way that we view ourselves as a sector in construction is you know it's a bit we denigrate ourselves a bit we're seen as you know like mucky on site but actually we've got the skill set that so many people are after particularly investors particularly development finance but anyway we, we digress a little after the break uh gavin i want to talk to you about your pretty wild story when it comes to development actually over the next part of the show but we'll do that right after this break Hello, it's me again. I wanted to share a quick story with you on why I co founded C-Link with my best mate Chris. Chris and I, we're both QS's, and this is going to sound sad, but one night we were sat in the pub talking about subcontract tendering and we realised the industry had a problem. Number one, procurement was too paper based. Number two, it was too time consuming and every QS had their own unique way of doing things. And number three, perhaps most importantly, If you want to competitively tender, you need to know hundreds of the best subcontractors. We simply didn't. That's why we created C-Link, its software to solve subcontract tendering. We wanted to remove these challenges and help the industry get better. So if you, or someone you know, tenders with subcontractors, you've got to see our software. Head over to our link www.get.c-link.com forward slash podcast to find out more. I will include it in the description box. So again, there's no excuses. Now, let's get right back to the show. So Gavin, really interesting conversation so far about transition from construction mindset to development mindset. One of the things that I um, wanted to touch on that you mentioned before... In the first half of the show, was timing. You kind of alluded to the fact that your timing you believed in moving from architecture to development was really good in terms of the market, etc. Now, I understand that you have a, as I said in the first half of the show, like a re- pretty wild story in terms of how much uh, the business was worth, etc. I think you. At one point during the financial crisis, lost circa fifteen million in value in your um, in the business. But I'm interested to learn like that story from you with your 125k five x all the way through to where you are today. Because I understand it's been a uh, ride, a roller coaster. Ride. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for.
1: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what happened. Um, so it was around about the beginning of 2000, we'll say. Okay, and I had that 125. K profit and I banked that and I realized I'm gonna get out of architecture and I'm gonna go full pivot into property investment development stuff. So that was the first thing. But I, I still needed to bring in income because the problem with those deals, you might do a fantastic deal, but if it's a if it's development, it could be a year and a half before you make any money. So you've got to do something to bring in the income in the in, in the interim. And so what I started to do was instead of as being an architect, I I started to call myself a development manager. And so what I did is I had the skills to put the deals together and do all this for myself, but I was also asking others out there, would they like me to kind of serve uh, as their development manager? So I partnered up with a couple of guys and they were doing some commercial real estate. And they asked me would I manage the project for them? And I said, yeah, absolutely no problem. And they asked like, what was I going to charge? And I can remember this was the, the moment because I had gotten eight grand for, for from one client on this thing. And I just sort of said, "All right, well, it's, you know, seems about fair to charge 5,000 a month. Uh, that sounds about, you know, the, the the rate. And I was kind of chancing my arm at that because I was, my mindset was that you get eight grand for like, a, a you know, nearly a year of work, like, you know, uh, but you do that with multiple tenants or multiple clients. Anyway, these guys said, yeah, okay, that's fine. And suddenly I realized, whoa, 60 grand in, one, in a year, like basically uh, of income guaranteed now from this project because the project was going to run for 18 months or whatever. So I was thinking, God, if I could do that a couple more times, like I'd actually have a really solid income and I can still do my deals, you know? So this is how I started to kind of play it out. And uh, what I did was I, I worked on that project with them and they made this really, you know, great deal. They, they built a couple of apartments Above some shops. And I was the guy developed managing that. And I can remember at the end, you know, at one stage working out the profit that they were going to make on this project and going, holy cow. Like, no wonder they'll pay me that. (laughs) No wonder. Yeah. I was like, this is serious money. Like, you know, and I suddenly realized that I'm the mug getting 60 grand. Like these guys were getting 10X that, you know? Yeah. And I was like, okay, how do I get into that? So I found this uh, property over in a part of Dublin, actually a real working class part of Dublin. And it was something very, very similar, but it was actually already built. And what happened in those days, this is early 2000s, the builders were were being instructed by the planning authority that they had to build like retail on the ground floor and then apartments above. And what they would prefer to do is just build all apartments this retail aspect was just kind of a a complication for them. So what they would do is put up the hoarding and then just try to sort of offload it. And I saw this and I, uh, because of the work I had done in the previous project, I was like, okay, so I can go and find a tenant, put it into that unit, and the value of the unit's going to like skyrocket. And so I started to do this. And so I bought the first unit. Very entrepreneurial. Well, this is the thing, but it, it was like learning steps as I went. And so the first, so I had the 125, I had the income from the different clients and uh, I went and I I wanted to buy this unit and I uh, partnered up with a friend of mine and we paid, I think, 600 grand for this um, empty unit that was about, I think it was around 6,000 square feet or something like that. Actually, no, it wasn't that big. It was about 5,000 square feet. And what we did was we bought it, we borrowed all of the money from the banks it was very easy to borrow in those days Uh, but we had to go and put personal guarantees down and all these kind of risks that you have to be careful with but at the time the market was just kind of like flying it was the Celtic tiger as we called it and everything was just every deal that you did was just making money so we had this kind of mindset like let's go for it so 600 grand in and uh, all I had to do was go for planning permission to split the unit from one large five thousand into three smaller units Uh, i got permission for that that was granted very quickly and then went in built the partitions between them were just concrete block fair face block work on its side and then we just had to like channel out the ground to put in an extra two toilet points and water meters and uh, simple you know, get simple electrical simple stuff get the electrician to go and put in three electrical boards because there was only one right that was all done and then we 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 created like three doorways in the hoarding and said there you go put them up and let's see if we can find tenants so i went to a friend of mine who was a, an an agent commercial agent and he went out into the market and came back to me with i have a, a pizza shop Uh, They'd like to open. I was like, oh, that's great. And then the other one, oh, we actually have an off license, uh, you know, that that are looking to expand nationally and they're interested. And then the other one was a bookies. And so this is what you'd see in a typical kind of good night out. Yeah, this is it. Like it's it's a neighborhood center, you know, and you'll have the pizza shop. You'll have the video store. You'll have the convenience store, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so anyway, I was creating this and um, got the three tenants, secured them, Entered into long leases with them all, and they started paying rent, and then put the property up for sale. And myself and my partner were said, "I wonder what we'll sell it for." And we ended up selling it for, I think it was two point four million, for those three units to be sold. And all that was all we did that little bit of work. So from six hundred to two, I was like, "What?" So we we both like shared obviously a massive massive profit, and this was to me, this watershed moment where it's like, I have just figured out the secret formula to making millions. And I'm going to do this again and again and again and again. And that's what I did. And I started going out looking to wash and repeat, basically, or rinse and repeat, as they say, and went and I found another one, did it. And that one was even more successful. I bought a property. I think I ended up paying a million for this property. I went for planning permission to convert the property and, and do all this work to it. And while we were getting the architects uh, and the engineers and all together to kind of do the project work, an agent approached me and said, did you just buy that property in this location? And I said, yeah. He goes, my client was the underbidder and they're an institution and they absolutely have to own that property. What what What's your number? And six weeks later, not a word of a lie, 2.5 million profit and just six weeks later after closing that deal wow and so it was like a bonanza it was just oh my god you know and i just and the thing is is those are two i'm just gonna i'm not gonna bore you with all the those are two deals but i did this multiple times like this went on and there would have been multiple other deals and every when deal was I this got, 2000 to this 2008 was, this was between 2002 and 2008 and uh, like in 2002 was that first one. Then 2003 was another, 2004, another two or three. And then 2005 was a really big year because multiple projects all kind of came together. And, and I think in that year, maybe I, you know, I could have made maybe close to 10 million that year. And so everything was just expanding like exponentially and what was really um, my but so was my ego okay and this is one of the aspects that I kind of my podcast that I have is kind of focused on is trying well, to kind reflecting of reflecting back on it just yeah when I reflect back on it now I realized that the money aspect of it had became had become too much of a focus and and I became much much uh, less kind of clued into the dangers of the market and like the the fact that the market could collapse and all this i started taking more and more risk and i went after this project in the south of spain and it was the the project was 42 million to buy and i put a deposit down and i went out and i got investors so myself and a bunch of investors put 12 million down on the deal three million of that came from me personally and then nine from investors And then we went to the Royal Bank of Scotland and they put 30 million into the deal. And that 42 million deal, I signed the deal the same week that the Lehman Brothers Bank collapsed. The day before or Um, something? Yeah, like that week, basically. And it was, it was just like, oh, mm, this is not good. But now (laughs) it's like, you can't get a little bit pregnant. You know that saying, like, you are in fully. So I was in a really... I haven't situation. heard that say, actually. You can be get a little bit pregnant. <laughs> you, can't, you can't get a little bit pregnant, you know? Oh, you
0: can't and get so, a little bit pregnant. <laughs> you I kind of like that. Uh,
1: and so I basically... You're fully pregnant at this point. <laughs> yeah, this is it. Like, I'm not... There's no getting out of this situation. Uh, I have now committed to a 42 million project in the south of Spain. And this project has 40 r- retail units. Like, I was talking to you about the three that I made all that money on. This was 40, Okay a uh, waterfront, beautiful location under construction in the south of Spain. And I estimated that I was going to buy it for 42 and it was going to be worth 85 by the time I was finished. And I had built in all these kind of incentives that if it, when it went to 85, I was going to get an additional amount of the profit and stuff. So this project that I was working on, my personal stake was going to be worth about 18 million in this project. So I was all in going for this yeah and you were uh, you, you weren't a little bit pregnant were you <laughs> no i was like and the, but the thing is is i was looking at this project with kind of rosy glasses rosy tinted glasses i was kind of thinking oh yeah i'll just do what i did back you know in that first project and we'll get the tenants in and all this and i totally underestimated first of all what it's like to work in another country and second of all just the downturn that we went into was so staggering it really impacted ireland and it really impacted spain and so a lot of my assets were falling in value in ireland and this project was like an anchor pulling me down in spain and i went from like when in 2007 the early part of 2007 i was going in to refinance a number of my properties and portfolio and stuff and I, and I got a valuation done on all of my stuff. And it came in at 65 million for all of the different assets and stuff like that. And a very healthy income coming through. And um, two years into 2008, the crash, like around 2010 or something like that, I was called back to Ireland by my banks to to kind of sit down and meet with them. And I had to prepare a statement of net worth. And I was working on, you know, all the valuations, updating them based on public data and stuff and it and i just remember thinking no this can't be right no it can't be right 16 million negative was my net worth and that was i mean you know that that on its own is you know obviously a big moment but you have to re- realize like during that period up to that it was like death by a thousand cuts every day something was going a tenant was pulling out a deal was falling over uh, a tenant had gone bust. A dealer, you know, and it just kept on going like this. And I got just so—I I, I won't say I was depressed, but I got it got to the point like, what is the point? Like, you know, really, like everything is just being destroyed. You know, here, I can you imagine. Know? And so Do that actually—it um, went on for six years, by the way. That 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 yeah,
0: that must have been brutal. When you know, a lot of people their perception of developers is that, you know, that they're greedy, you know, and it's, they're printing money and it's a, it's a laugh a minute, basically. Post financial crash, I don't think it necessarily is that, because there's still good money to be made, don't get me wrong, but do you feel reflecting back, I know you you talked then a little bit about all the money was consuming you, so that, that was your main focus. Do you think back then, just because the deals were so good, it sounds like for a point you talk about timing, that, That's where people get that perception of developers is that they were making so much money at that point.
1: Well, yeah, there's definitely I mean, the thing is, is I'm I was, you know, you you might kind of sort of say, what an idiot, you know, like you should have been more sensible. But you the thing is, is I actually had been quite a conservative person, but I was watching everyone else. Doing similar deals for uh, with skills and talent that I already possessed, and I was saying like, why am I doing this? Like, this guy start like started behind me, and he's now ahead of me. Like, how is that possible? And so it it, it gets into your head. Now, this is some of the stuff that you have to be very aware of and you have to start to realize that don't compare yourself with others because you don't know what's going ra- on under the What's that Baz never- Luhrmann
0: saying in, a, in the end you're only in a race with yourself? Or uh, well, you
1: know, the, well the that, thing is yeah. is like I see people looking at you know you, the, the perception of developers you know doing really really well a lot of the time that is the public perception and it's like the guys driving their latest Range Rover or whatever And you look at that, you compare yourself with that and you go, how is it that he can afford that and I can't? The reality is a lot of these guys can't afford it, but they're living this kind of debt junky kind of lifestyle. And I can relate to that because I was doing similar. And the, the reality is, is that stop comparing yourself and also always remember that the market is cyclical and you might be having this bonanza right now, but you will be humbled and there's guarantee you will be humbled at some point in the future. And the thing that I, I, was, I was too green, I didn't have a mentor or, you know, a kind of a person in my corner because my dad had died. I'm sure if my dad had been alive and he had seen this kind of thing, he would have smacked me over the head and said, like, cop onto yourself, you know, because... It was, I was, you know, it was in in retrospect, of course, it was completely unsustainable that it was going to go on. But in my perception at the time, it was like, what am I doing wrong? Explain to me what I'm doing wrong. I've just made, you know, a couple of million on that deal. That, you know, we, this did, we did 5X over here. Like, explain to me what I'm doing wrong. And the problem is, is that I was taking the cash out of the deals, buying the bigger house, buying the fancier car, buying the apartment in... And, and, you know, instead of paying down debt and doing the prudent thing. And so, and that is one of the things that you, you do have to kind of center yourself and realize that money might be some sort of, you know, outcome, part of the outcome, but you got to keep an eye on other things. You got to keep an eye on your mental health, your physical health. Your, your your relationships like my marriage uh, broke down and I ended up and I'm divorced now from from my first wife luckily I've found a in my, my my current wife and we're together now 10 years but at the time it was hell going through the bankruptcy well I didn't actually declare but going through a divorce and like going through you know banks chasing you around the world and stuff like that and also, I had a load of staff working for me, and they all had to be let go. So suddenly, all of the work that those staff did, I had to handle it myself. So I was completely—it was a—it it was sounds, an absolute nightmare. It
0: sounds like an incredibly difficult moment with some incredibly dark moments, and we haven't even. It's funny because you know, we, the first half of the show, we were kind of saying development—it's a aspirational thing for you of you in construction, which I. It could be, I don't know whether it, it, it was never for me, but I know people do think of it like that and I can completely understand why. It was for you. You then had this moment of roaring success and then a, a pullback.
1: Where are you now? How, how are things now? Well, I mean, as I mentioned this thing went on for about six years it was hell and uh, I realized after a while that you know no one is coming to save you and that is one of the things that you got to kind of remember there's there's a lot of mindset uh, work that I that I went through because you you've got You know, you can blame a lot of people other than yourself for the situation you're in. And I can remember thinking, oh, it was the banks did this to me and blah, blah, blah. And it's all victim mode, basically. And it's only when you take ownership of it and you kind of say, you know what? This is on me. I did this. And I'm the only one who's going to get myself out. So I went and thought, "Okay, what have I got? What have they not taken from me? I've got my network. I've got my knowledge and skills and my entrepreneurial mindset. And I've got now experience, a lot of experience. Uh, and so take that and, and move forward. So at the time uh, when all of this kind of was coming to an end, had run its course, so the market was really, really low. You could pick up things. So I started looking at deals. I started looking at the student sector. And I ended up, um, my family business, uh, my, the business that my dad was in, I had stepped away from all of that during my, you know, when things were going fantastic for me. And uh, I, I got to this point where it was really, I had hit rock bottom. And I had said to the to, to the family business, I said, you know, is there any way I can kind of come back in? And I can, I needed to actually stabilize my situation because I had a couple of children going through school and all that. I was thinking, how am I going to go and, you know, get myself back up? And it was, Kind of a building yourself back up slowly, taking you know baby steps and moving forward, and and kind of starting again essentially. But thankfully, it's uh, it's it's worked out. It it, like basically you rinse and repeat. You start looking for those deals that you had done in the past. Although the market is constantly evolving, and so um, the deals that were working and making all that money in those days, they don't exist anymore because obviously amazon has come along and swallowed all the retail and uh, so you have to look for new things so what my my family are involved in an office park here that was developed over uh, the last kind of 20 years or so and uh, the the people that were involved in the day-to-day running of it they actually left and so there was my opening and I stepped into that role and uh, and i have been running this business park and getting more involved in the day-to-day and what's actually happened is by developing relationships and this is one of the big things with the tenants and meeting them every day and getting to know the needs of occupiers you can start to see with the way the market is moving and then you can start to prepare and so the idea would be I had spent a couple of years abroad in Dubai and stuff after the crash and I'd seen a model where you go and you find the tenant before you actually buy the property and you, um, you secure the tenant. You, you, you basically design the building to exactly their specifications. And then you when the tenant is secure, then you go and you sign up uh, for the land and the construction and all that. De-risk it completely. So now the stuff that I'm doing is much, much more de-risked. I'm not going out gambling everything. I'm going out there and doing this. And I'm obviously as well at an age that you do need to be a bit more prudent. I have five kids, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, absolutely. And and I can see that <clears throat> business is now um, far better. We haven't talked about construction at all, but that's absolutely fine because the story itself has been fascinating. I really appreciate you sharing it with us and being so so candid. I guess my final question would be, you've talked about, timing he's talked about I think he called it the Celtic Tiger in that in that moment in time the market was amazing it then went awful. Going back to the question of you know how was your how do you see the transition? Would you advise people to transition into development? It can be exciting, it can be challenging as your story clearly outlines. How are we today? What's your view on the market today? Is it an option where you can change your career and make good money?
1: What What's your view? I think if you are a person, a professional design team member or a construction team member uh, or a contractor or whatever, I think you absolutely can do this. I don't think you necessarily leave your profession completely. I think what you do is you you build something on the side and you try to kind of take those initial steps that allows you to put kind of a little bit of that safety net in place. So by the time it comes to the point where you actually have a regular income, passive income coming from a couple of properties or whatever it is, that's when you're in a position to sort of say, okay, now I'm going to go full-time into that and I can abandon the monthly paycheck that I get or whatever it is. Um, I think the timing at the moment, it's a difficult one because inflation has reared its ugly head uh, after 40 years. Just a little bit. Yeah. And I think like there is... There's huge demand out there for for property, for for residential property. Here in Ireland, huge demand. It's acute demand. In the UK, I understand it's the very same. And they can't build fast enough. So there's that supply-demand imbalance. And so that is going to maintain, I think, the construction sector will probably continue to, to, to fire ahead because of that need. The problem, though, is the profitability because, You have got now a lot of people out there looking at buying property that, uh, you know, their first home or, you know, trading up or whatever it is. And suddenly interest rates are starting to change and become more expensive. And that on top of inflation. So, you know, if you asked somebody a year and a half ago, how much does it cost to, you know, to buy a £400,000 property or £300,000 property? they would be able to tell you every month it costs me this much and I could afford that or whatever. But now you've got the, not only are the payments higher because of the interest rates, but also you've got additional cost of fuel, additional cost of you know filling your car, buying your groceries, paying for your heating of your home and all that. And all of that is chipping away at the affordability. And so I think that it's going to may, mean that some projects that people were going after that were kind of marginal are going to just drop out uh, completely. And and I think only the projects that people had bought a couple of years ago, that the land value is not, you know, kind of causing. And I think there will be some people that fall over. Uh, some businesses will not survive this kind of... I think there will be a, a, a bit of a downturn. I don't think it's going to be anything like 2008, but I do think projects are going to slow down.
0: Okay, yeah. And that kind of chimes with my, my thinking as well. I mean, I'm, I'm far from an economist, but I mean, it was a great recession, wasn't it, in 2008? Whereas... There are massive problems now, but whether it hits those levels again, who knows? Um but Gavin, absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Where can people find
1: you? Talk about your podcast. Uh yeah, my podcast is called Behind the Facade. And I, I put in real estate and property just to make sure, because I think there might be another one out there by the same name. And um and if you want to, you know, look learn more about me or the the program, the, the coaching thing that I do uh is my website and i have just a you know various a little blog in there and various bits and pieces but um the business park that i run is called east point here in dublin and so um we didn't even get to talk about that i was going to tell you all about the sustainability and stuff maybe we'll do another episode sometime. we'll have
0: to do, we'll have to do another show i know yeah we didn't get to talk about i've got a whole list of things i wanted to ask you we have got through about two of them um but that's probably made for an amazing show i'll be sharing Uh, links to uh, Gavin's social media and so on in the podcast description and I will speak to you all again next week thank you very much cheers Gavin
1: thanks Paul